welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. Right, I've been talking to you about uh, how this year I, I believe that the Lord um, has spoken over you and spoken over us as a church. Um, this whole idea of Kaf Gamal, it's a year of open hands, you know, the, the Lord's hands of blessing towards you. Isn't it really good? Okay, and uh, what I've been doing over the last few weeks is looking at, you know, so, sometimes it's like our hearts can go to a place where we go, Lord, I, I want to see this in my life. Yeah, everyone goes, yeah. And then, the, so there are things that are in our lives, okay, because one of the things that we, we sometimes get confused about is that whenever you were saved, you were saved forever, all right? I do not believe for one minute, if you encounter Jesus, that you will ever lose your salvation. So everyone just relax, okay? See this kind of thing of you can be in the favor of God and outside of the favor of God, and, you know, it's, and it's all dependent on, on what you're doing. I honestly believe this. When you were saved, you were saved forever. And you will never undo the work of God. You're, if, your sin, right, if your sin can undo the work of Jesus on the cross, then we're all in trouble, quite frankly, all right? Uh, and you can't, you know, your, your sin was never, never a barrier to you receiving God, and it'll never be a cause of you being rejected by God. Amen? So everyone just relax, okay? It's all good. And um, one of the things, though, is to go, that, like, in that moment, I'm going to read some of those verses later on, but in that moment, you're perfected forever, it says. But there's, there's still things that we're unlearning. Do you get that? Even those who... Those of us who even, you might, you might you have encountered Jesus years ago and you're in a situation where um, it was a lot about your performance for the Lord. So sometimes there are contexts that are like that, churches or otherwise, and it's like you need to do. Now that, you know, it's like, now that you're saved, you should know better. Well, frankly, if you were a plonker before you got saved, two minutes after you get saved, you're still going to be a plonker. And some of you are still plonkers years on, right? Isn't that the truth? Like, you know, that, that old one. <laughs> He's so encouraging. I tell you. <laughs> Help him, Jesus. You should be praying for me. Help him, Lord. <laughs> but that's the truth, isn't it? Because there's stuff that we are learning. In fact, some of it is unlearning and relearning. And so there's things that sit in our lives. And they, because we have learned them, and they have become part of what we do and who we are, those things have to be undone. And sometimes the journey of going deeper into God's grace is it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like two tracks for me. It's like you go into the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height of God's love for you. You fill your heart and your mind with, with, with the truth of God's promise, who he is and what he's done. And also at the same time, there is a bit of recognition as to what that then does because it, it brings, stuff up, brings stuff up in us that the Lord just says, now we can deal with this, right? Because it's not in a place of condemnation. It's not in a place of guilt. It's just in a place where my love will make this better, right? And that's what I've been talking about over the last few weeks, some of the things that I think will rob you. And that's why I call this series Rise. It's almost like rising above them. Because what I said is, and very quickly, let me just build this for you, um, because it, one week builds on the other, because I'm clever that way, right? So the, what I said was, there's a, <laughs> see that? You should be going, yes, absolutely, wonderful. <laughs> Tracking with you, pastor, awesome, right? So the deeper root of stress, what I said, is fear. So whenever you feel anxiety, you, you think about something in your, in your life right now, and it causes that emotion of anxiety in you, right? It might be about your money or your future or whatever, or is this going to work out? And you, you get that wee sense in you, you know that feeling? Okay, well, underneath that feeling is what's called fear, okay? 
And so that could be fear of anything, not having enough, death, whatever. And uh, what happens is in the world today, we have anxiety and we have fear and the world can go no further. So what we do in the world is we start to medicate at this point generally, all right, just to kind of dumb people down or give them enough to keep, you know, kind of level and keep going. And I'm not necessarily knocking that. Do you hear me? Okay, because sometimes that can be helpful for a short period of time to help people. But the, actually, when, the truth of it is, though, it never solves it. Because underneath, why, why would you feel afraid? Where does that come from? Well, it, it comes from the fact that you can, you can have a word from the Lord which says, my hands are open to bless you and to favor you, but you feel afraid because what happens is we still, the, the, the bit of us that is being renewed, like transformed to what grace has done in us, that bit of us still looks at things through a lens which is in the process of being perfected. And so we might look at things and go, actually, I, I'm estimating this through my ability. And what happens is you feel afraid because when you look at things through your ability, you will always find a gap, right? So if you're diagnosed with something, there's probably nothing in you that is able to fix that. So you feel afraid. There's now where, what is happening and where I need to be, there's a gap between me and my ability to meet that need. And so fear is the result. So fear is all about threat. When, you're, when you feel threatened, that's when you feel fear. So then the Lord comes in and he says, don't be afraid, all right? This is where you see the spirit of grace ministering deeper into your heart because actually you don't need to be afraid. Why? Well, I might run out of money or I might not be able to meet my bills. No, I'm your provider. Oh, okay, hold on. I know, but I, I can't come boldly to you because of this, but as far as the east is from the west, I've removed that from you. And so all of a sudden, we've got this different paradigm, this different lens. And what happens is, at that point, we meet this thing called condemnation, which is the deepest root of it all. Because condemnation says, even though, and this is what the enemy does, continually accusing, continually accusing. So the Lord comes with his promise and says, you know, don't be afraid because I am this for you. And then the enemy accuses you and says, no, 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 hold on. You can't receive because you did this and because you did this, there's a price to be paid. And so at your very core, he condemns you. And that's why the Lord ministers deep into that. So that's why I started in week one. Then I, last week I said, you know, because we, we know the difference between right and wrong because, you know, that's what Adam did. You know, he didn't eat um, of the tree of, the, of good and evil. It was the knowledge of good and evil. And when we know the difference between right and wrong, then what happens is condemnation follows because it's a picture of the law. Every time we try to live according to the law, it just condemns us even further. Every effort you make in and of yourself to try to be okay with God, to please God, or to be right with God actually digs you deeper into the hole that you're trying to get out of. You strengthen sin by trying to work for grace. Do you get that? Yeah? That's what I've been talking about. Yeah. Some of you are going, did you actually preach this? It sounds pretty good. You should go back and read over it or listen over it again. And so that's what I, I, I was talking about, right? Uh, by the Romans 3.20, by the laws and knowledge of sin. And so what I then said last week was that um, condemnation is rooted in, 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 first of all, in one thing, which is guilt. And what is guilt? It's the word avon in Hebrew, um, which is about rebellion, okay? So rebellion doesn't actually convey the full meaning. So iniquity, remember, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what I was saying is this, is that, you know, like, when we rebel against God, and rebellion doesn't mean you stand shaking your fists at God. It just means that you rely on yourself rather than God. That's rebellion to God. You get that? I turn to me rather than to him. And what happens is at that point, 
all, I mean, everything. So it's not just the full meaning of Avon. It's not just that action, but the punishment, like catechrema, like condemnation. Every evil consequence that follows our rebellion was laid on Jesus and taken away from us. That's what it says in 53, 6 in Isaiah. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, right? Isn't that, isn't that amazing to know? And just as a quick recap before I get into this last bit today. Isn't it amazing to know that Jesus not only identified with your rebellion and mine, but also every punishment that was due and every evil consequence Every single time you have stepped out of what God says is the right way to do it, there was a punishment due. Do you get that? Somebody had to pay. And Jesus stands over your life this morning and goes, at every point, the things that you did, the things that you didn't do, the things that of commission and omission, those sins is what it says in the word. Every time you did it, I stood there with provision made. It was laid on me. The act and the consequence that follows the act was laid on me for you so that you could be free that's amazing isn't it and so what i was trying to encourage you to that's the full meaning of the cross and the thing is it's so that it never returns to you it's not like there's in that one time moment all right it's like you are forgiven past present and future do you get that when he forgave you he forgave you completely he didn't leave anything out he didn't put a little asterisk to for, to, for you to go to the footnote of the page and go except when you do this or for most of us or when you do it again right can i i'm going to say something that might, might shock some of you you don't need to be forgiven again for something that you were forgiven for 10 years ago do you get me Every time you recommit the same mistake, the Lord sits there with the same grace and says, as far as the east is from the west, I remove that. It's gone. It does not exist. In fact, it says in Hebrews 12, uh, 10, sorry, 12, 14, but this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered how many sacrifices? One for sins for how long? Forever. Sat down at the right hand of God. That means the work is finished and complete for you, friends, this morning. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made a footstool, for by one offering, that's the work of Jesus, all your offerings were never enough, but his offering, he has perfected you forever, those who are being sanctified. Do you get that? That's good news. And what I was saying is this, you'll never, you'll never, ever, um, you'll never ever deal with guilt. What the world does is try to ignore it. That's why people are going half crazy today, right? The world says, do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want, right? You're free to do that, but it has no answer for the repercussions in people's lives, other than medication. So what people try to do is they try to absolve themselves of guilt. I did this, I feel awful, or there's consequences, but it's not my fault. It's a condition that I have. It's because of my great-grandfather. It's because of this, that, and the other, Right? Now, listen to me. One of the amazing things about guilt in the Bible is we are responsible for what we do. The world doesn't like that message today. I'm not responsible. It's not my fault. It's systemic. That's, I, that cracks me up. Do you know, as I said last week, I know there are people who have suffered at the hands of poor behavior. But to label anything as systemic is just downright lazy. Take responsibility for yourself. Okay? This is not... I, I absolutely believe inequality of opportunity for everyone, okay? The outcomes may be different, but that's life. Look at me. Like, seriously, I wish I was Tiger Woods, but I'm not. 
Joseph. <laughs> Honestly. Now, what could I do? I could turn around and go, do you know what the problem is? In Northern Ireland, there is systemic something against people like me playing golf. I didn't get the same opportunities that Tiger got. It's ridiculous, right? It's absolutely crazy. It's not fair, and so therefore, I don't know, Tiger should pay me money. (laughs) (laughs) And you quite rightly would go, shut up, fatso, and get out and swing a club, right? (laughs) It's not Tiger's fault. It's the fact that you're lazy and you didn't practice. Anyone? Now, you might not say it to my face, but you're thinking it, right? (laughs) You'll be going, it's got nothing to do with systemic whatever. And so what's interesting is you see it, the Bible, it cuts right to the core. The Bible goes, and this is, but this is what I absolutely love about God's grace. Like, this is where the gospel of grace just knocks it out of the park for me. Because where the world goes, absolve yourself of guilt by blaming everyone else and not taking responsibility for yourself. But we know every man, woman, and child born has the knowledge of good and evil. It's in us, right? We in, it's innate to us. And what, what the Lord says is, actually, you face your guilt. And then you say, thank you, Jesus, that you've taken it away from me. Because that's dealing with it. Trying to forget it is not dealing with it. It will come up some other way. Do you get that? You can look at it square on and go, but I'm free. I, did you do that? Absolutely, I did. But I'm free. Uh, was, was that definitely you who did that? Uh, yes, absolutely. I can look at it and say, but his sacrifice was greater than my sin. Every time, once and forever. That's a flipping great you. Anyway, thank you for listening to me. I am done. I'm going to say that. I'm not kidding you. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel right there. So what I want to just help you with today, and I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is here to minister to people, because guilt is one thing, but there's something that happens in the cross which is more than guilt, dealing with more than guilt, and it's dealing with this issue called shame, and shame's a biggie, right? Because what happens is this, iniquity, avon, guilt, so that's about commission, what you do, right? I did this, it was wrong, therefore there's a price to be paid, that's guilt, Look at it and say, thank you for grace. It's out, do you know, it's outrageous, isn't it? Isn't it Spurgeon who said the scandalous love of, of God like this? It's, it's totally outrageous to anyone today to think no matter what it was, Jesus says, my love is greater. Like the worst sins in hell, he goes, my, <laughs> my love is greater. It's out, grace is outrageous, folks. What I need to do, just say thank you and receive, really? I've got to pay something. No, 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 no. Try to pay, you can't have it, but just receive it, it's all yours. That's an outrageous gospel, isn't it? The legalists go crazy when you say this stuff. Oh, no, 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 no. Need to balance that out. No, you don't. You just need more of his grace in your life because it's the only thing that breaks the power of sin and death. Now, here's the thing. So there's, there's emotional suffering that comes as a result of Avon, this word guilt, and, uh, or iniquity. And one of those results is shame. It's funny. Now, I've got South African friends. And they're quite funny because they say shame all the time. It's not funny. Oh, shame. I was like, stop saying shame to me. I'm not embarrassed. And it's like, but it's this word, but it means like, oh, bless. We would say, oh, bless. They say, oh, shame, right? Which put me off at the start because 
It made me feel really wicked. But anyway, it's one of those things, right? And it's a really interesting issue today. So let me just define exactly what we're talking about, because it might mean something different to different people. But by definition, shame means this. It's a painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, or disgraceful. You get that? The painful feeling arises from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, or disgraceful. Now, shame has a wide spectrum, and it can go on this side from like mild embarrassment, right? Oh, shame, right? To this incredible, you know, overpowering, almost awful sense of unworthiness on this side that cuts people off from a meaning relationship with God, number one, but also with each other. I was actually reading, there's a guy called Bernard Williams, who's a British philosopher. Wouldn't recommend you read a lot of his stuff because it's a wee bit wacky, but he, he, he was quite interesting on this when I was just researching. He said, in, in the experience of shame, one's whole being seems diminished or lessened. The expression of shame is not just desire to hide or to hide my face, but the desire to disappear, not to be there, It is not even the wish, as people say, to sink through the floor, but rather the wish that the space occupied by me should be instantaneously empty. Isn't it interesting? So what it shows us is this. There is a difference between guilt and shame. You see, guilt is when you realize your failure. I did something and it was wrong, right? It was what I did. Shame, however, is further along from that, okay? Shame is seeing yourself as a failure. Because what happens is shame is what I do, or guilt is what I do, shame is who I am. And there's a big difference. Remember how you see yourself. We say this in, in Bible study, we said it a couple of weeks ago, like when we we're talking about identity, and definitely come along this week, it's going to be a belter. You're going to really enjoy, uh, enjoy Bible study this week when we look at purpose. But one of the things we're saying is, you, is your life goes the direction of your dominant thought. So who you really truly, or what you truly believe and see in here is the way that your life is going, because your life will follow that. And so if you allow yourself, if you don't deal with guilt, right, and you allow yourself actually to meditate on that, what happens? It becomes a stronghold of shame. Does that make sense? So for example, who has not, now I know, and Jesus knows, so don't be telling any lies this morning, all right? Because he's going to know. <laughs> I know the way in work, the way occasionally we would borrow pens. <laughs> you know, he's stealing them, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but know the way you'd borrow a pen, and you might even say to yourself, I'll put that back, and you never do. Well, Jesus told me about you. I'm only kidding, right? <laughs> and he wants the pens back this morning. Just kidding. <laughs> But you know what I mean? So, go with me on that one. How many of you then go, when you're being introduced to someone or you're talking to someone, you go, hi, my name's Andrew, I'm a thief. (laughs) Why are you a thief? Don't leave a big barrow near me, mate, or it is going. (laughs) You know what I mean? Okay? So what happens is, in some things... We don't do it because they're, they're kind of like, well, you know, of course I'm not a thief because of that, right? That would be silly. So sometimes people can't really make the, uh, the jump, right? 
But the, so the way that it works is this. Actually, the stronghold of shame, who you are, comes when you think about past failure and you continue to dwell on it and think on it. And therefore, it starts to wear you down and create a distorted picture of who you actually are. Because the guilt and the shame actually then become your identity. And, you know, this, this stuff is really serious. And, and I, I honestly believe in the church it's one of the biggest issues, right? Because if you are trying your best, like, you'll, you, all of us know, I don't need to explain this, the more you have tried to please God, the more you've failed, Right? And so what happens is we go, I'm a failure, right? Because I tried and I tried and I tried, and I will bet my bottom dollar with every one of you at some point in your life you've gone, I'm not good enough because I'm a failure because I can't get it right. Anybody? Okay, so what that is is shame. What that is is because I have dwelt and dwelt and dwelt on my actions, and because I've done that, it's given me a picture of who I am. Do you see that? And I, therefore, now I have taken that on as part of my identity. And let me tell you something. It's, it's, we kind of go, oh, it's, you know, no shame. Oh. No, it's a biggie. I was reading this, world, this woman called June uh, Tangney. She's a professor at George Mason University in, in Fairfax, Virginia. And she, she, she wrote this book, Shame and Guilt. And she said, guilty people feel bad about their behavior, right? Shame people feel bad about themselves, so what happens, what, think about these things, what happens whenever there's something going on in your life about shame, it's this, there's, sometimes people have a lack of motivation um, to even seek care, a lack of empathy. Uh, she says that shame, p- people become very self-involved, um, they, they feel shame, they cut themselves off from other people, they can be angry and aggressive. There's a special link, she says, between shame and anger in day-to-day life. Let me quote, when people are shamed and angry, they tend to be motivated to get back at a person and get revenge. There's psych problems, psychological problems. It's associated with eating disorders, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, promiscuity, other mental disorders. Uh, problematic moral behavior. Um, Shame-prone shame kids. This is interesting. This is why I believe in our church. We're teaching our kids, as we're sitting here today, our kids are being taught about the grace of God and how much he loves them. Do you get that? That's why, that's why this church matters because shame-prone kids get into substance abuse earlier, earlier sexual activity, less safe sexual activity and involvement in the criminal justice system. That's just what the world says, right? Because what happens is this, right? Like guilt, if you have got nowhere to go with that sense of I, I am this, I'm a failure, and that strong emotional stuff that comes comes as a result, what it does is it turns you in, and this is what the enemy does, it turns you in on yourself, turns you away from others. The word there is, the the Greek word is entropy. You know entropy? We've got that word in English, okay? So the Greek word for shame is entropy, to turn not towards the Lord, but to turn into yourself. So you turn from other people and you turn from God. And actually, let, let me tell you this, this is why it's so important that we realize that the Lord is never the source of your shame. Do you get that? He never guilts you, never manipulates you, never pressures you, never shames you into change. He only loves you into change by calling you up to go, this is really who you are. Do you get that? 
That's all he ever does. Because if you think that God is disappointed with you today, if you think that God sees you in any other way other than as a righteous son and daughter of the king, if you think that God's heart for you is anything other than excitement and favor and blessing and wholeness, if you say it any other way, what you'll do is you'll turn from him If you think he's guilting you, shaming you, or disappointed with you, you're not going to stand boldly before him. You're going to turn away. Shame, do you get that? Because shame, what happens is this. Shame makes you bow your head in disgrace. You don't want to look into anyone's eyes. You want to avoid anything that causes your shame. But you know what? Let me tell you this. Shame causes you to, to, and disgrace it. It'll bend you low. It will put your head down away from God and others. But grace calls you this morning to look up If grace comes and lifts your chin up and says, look into my eyes, the Lord says, every one of you this morning, and you will see nothing but my love for you. Because when I look at you, it's with nothing but love. It's with nothing but acceptance. It's nothing but favor. So look into my eyes. Lift your head up from yourself and look at me. And you go, but I can't because I'm this. And he says, no, no, you're not. Look at me and let me show you again who you are. Because you're not that. You're not a failure. You're not the sum total of your mistakes. No matter how long you've dwelt on them, you are not the opinion of others. You're not the opinion of yourself. You're not the sum total of every error that maybe no one else even knows. You are righteous. And what grace does is it lifts you. At any moment of the day, when all of that stuff is going on, it lifts you up. And he says, look at me again. Because only when you look at the Lord, and what do I mean by that? What does he say in his word? What does he say in in, in the promises that he's written over your life? This is why Penny's book, I think, is so critical in these times. So that Sunday night, come along, get a copy, bring, get copies for your friends so that we can help people to fill their minds and their hearts with the truth of what he says about them in a world that is bombarding them with a million different messages, all, all centered on self pulling them away from the truth of of grace. Do you get that? Grace lifts your head up today and says, you're not that. Some of us have got to let ourselves off the hook this morning. Sometimes I, I, I find that, you know, even in myself, when you get comfortable with pain, you'll go back there. Anyone? Ooh, that's deep. Do you know what I'm just looking here? Can I just say this? We had a wee moment in our house yesterday. And I, I'm, I'm, I don't think you've noticed. But I was watching the rugby, absorbed in the rugby. And Sophie said to me, can I paint your nails? <laughs> this is what daughters do, right? I've just noticed these ones are quite shiny because they've got clear nail lacquer on them. <laughs> so lest you think I've taken a turn this week, all right? And next week I'll be in a frock preaching from the front. I won't be, all right? But it just, they keep catching me in the light. And I'm going, I wonder if they've noticed, because these ones were white. And, and Penny had to get them all off this morning. But they're really glossy. Just to let you know, that's what happens when you've got daughters. She, oh, I, that's my excuse. Oh, I, blame the youngest one. Oh, I. <laughs> you ask her, she'll go, I don't know what my daddy's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I, I think whenever grace calls you to stand up, look into his eyes. When you do that, he promises that his love will never disappoint us. 
He'll fill you and he'll fill your heart with his love for you in that moment. You see, a heart that grows and has more of an understanding of God's love doesn't have a whole lot of room for shame because perfect love casts out fear and everything else. His love pours over us. And again, we have to go, well, how do we know? How, how, can, you, how can you really know? Because there's a bit in the Bible that tells us that Jesus, right, endured the most shameful death so that you could be released this morning from the effects of shame. You know, there's words being spoken over some of you going back 40 years, 50 years. You are, you are, you will never be. You're this, you're that, right? And what the enemy does is as soon as those words are out there, he puts his finger on them every time in certain circumstances and reinforces. And some of us run back to it, actually. As I'm saying, sometimes pain is comfortable. We've got to be honest about that. Sometimes we, I do it. I withdraw from people when I feel like I've hurt. Is that too honest for you? If you tick me off, I, I, I tend to protect myself. Too honest. That's the truth of it. Do I want to be like that? No. Am I like that? Yes. Is God working with me? I hope so. If not, I'm just going to paint my nails and go for it. All right? All is lost. Do you know what? I'm going to come in with my hair straightened. Do you know what I'll do? Week by week, just do a wee bit. See if I noticed. What's that stuff? I, I, I don't actually know anything about Megan, but no, that stuff and all. I see the girls do it. And you'll be sitting there in a few weeks going, see, what? Do you notice anything funny about him this morning? <laughs> Flip, I need to hurry up, right? But this, this is what I love. I love that, you know, when you look at what Jesus did, I'm going to show you a couple of words here. I'm going to give you some scripture directly related to that root of shame, right? Is this okay? Is this helping? Yeah. Cool. So when you look at crucifixion, it was one of the most shameful forms of death. And there's some Bible around it. And the thing of crucifixion was not just to kill people. It was to heap scorn on them and their family. It was a public demonstration that was only reserved for the lowest class of criminal. People naked, beaten to a pulp, ripped to pieces before they ever got to the cross. Publicly mocked by authority, jeered, and what happened was the shame was not just for you, it was for your family as well. It was saying, you are this. You, look at that, all right? That's what we do with people like you. And the whole world could stand in judgment and go, nah, right? Look at them. And so it's interesting that the part of Jesus' work first this morning, it says in Hebrews 12 too, when it talks about Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith, it, the last bit of that, it said he endured the cross despising the shame, right? So he went through that, and, and it's interesting. Why, why, why did he have to be crucified? I mean, the Lord could have had any way of spilling blood in order to make covenant, right? But what was it about crucifixion? Why did the Lord set it up that way? There's loads of different reasons, but one of it was because he knew at the core of who we are as people that shame was a biggie. It was be at the root of many of us not being able to receive fullness, right? Because this, you know, crucifixion was not he just did this, therefore. It was like this person is and their family too, right? So why did the Lord choose crucifixion? Because in that work, he was undoing the power behind shame by going, I will take on the worst shame possible so that you will never have to. Isn't that amazing? 
And it says when he says despising, that word's a really interesting word. Despising is, he literally means to look down on. And so it says when Jesus endured the cross, he looked down on shame, right? He almost scorned the shame. What he, what he was doing on that cross for you and I was going, I am, I am going to go through this and I will not allow you. I'm going to look down on it and scorn it, right? I'm going to deal with it so that you never have to again. Amen? It's an amazing word. And what happens is it says that there's, there's an exchange that happens. It says in, in the word that, that he's exchanged, you know, we exchange shame for glory, Right? I've just totally forgotten the reference and I didn't write it down. But it says he exchanges shame for glory. And the word there is doxa. So whenever that condition of shame in you, do you know what grace has done? It's given you this thing called doxa, which is the most glorious condition. The mo- Listen to this. This is what he says over you today. This is amazing. Okay? The most glorious condition, the most exalted state, magnificence, excellence, dignity, and grace. Isn't that amazing? No shame. Instead, you have the most glorious condition, the most exalted state forever, magnificent, excellent, full of dignity and grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. That's what he did. Now, this is what he says now, right about you. There's three verses. You might want to write these down because when I looked at this, there are verses in the Bible that talk about your past, your present, and your future in relation to shame. The first one is this, Isaiah 43, 18 to 19. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, the Lord says. Now it shall spring forth. Church, stop going back to the old things, okay? The Lord is doing something new in your life. He might even be starting it right now in this moment. So what we do is we choose not to go back to those old things, all right? To say, Lord, even when it feels comfortable, even when we feel that wee bit of hurt and we go, oh, there we go. And it's like the most, it's the most crazy ox, like, is it an oxymoron, is it? I don't know. Sounds like it. You know, it's like the, uh, like how pain can comfort at times because it's just comfortable. It's like a blanket. And the Lord says, don't go there. Why? Because that was your past. And your past, do you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to connect with something that's not there according to the Lord. It just doesn't exist. So stop going back there. Stop digging up something that the Lord has taken away because it's not there. The second thing is, now listen to this. Today, remember the most glorious condition, most exalted state, magnificence, excellence, and dignity. Isaiah 61 verse seven, write it down. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Somebody say, yes, Lord. Today, instead of all these accusations and these feelings, I'm gonna have double honor, double dignity, double magnificence. My state, according to your word of grace, is double all of that. Amen? That's your present possession right there. And into the future, Isaiah 54, 4. Don't be afraid, don't fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, For you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth. All right? That's a good... Do you know what the Lord's promise to you is? If you're in Christ this morning, this is an incredible promise. Don't be afraid that at some point that in your walk that the Lord will ever put you into a position like his work that you will ever feel any kind of inadequacy. You'll ever be embarrassed. The Lord will never do that. He will never bring that about for you. Do you know why? He loves you into change. 
So don't be afraid that at some point the Lord's going to withdraw his hand of favor, blessing, or whatever, and leave you exposed for the world to see. I remember, I, I've told you those days, isn't it? I said it last week. Oh, we're going to the pictures, and the Lord's going to put your dirty thoughts up on the screen. That's what they used to say in the brethren. <laughs> Flip me. You should have gone to my brethren church. It was hardcore, I'm telling you. What would happen if the Lord came back and everyone's thoughts were up there? And be going, that's a, night, that's a nightmare. That's flipping horrific. <laughs> I know the Lord says, I'm never going to disgrace you, so don't be afraid. Why? Because if you fail that he's a sense of your, your source of your shame, what are you going to do? You're going to turn away from him. And what does he say? Look at me. Lift your head up. Look into my eyes, and I will fill you with love. Isn't he good? Awesome. Just going to say one thing to finish. Two things to finish. That's a, that's a preacher's lie. Just going to draw to a close. No, we're not. <laughs> what we're doing is making sure that you're not thinking about your chicken in the oven, all right? <laughs> a few more verses for you. I want to say this. How we can... Those are great verses, aren't they? Isaiah 43, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 54. Past, present, future. Right? Don't think about that. You've got double today, and you'll never be in anything other than double. Love it. Anyway, shame is built upon deception. This is my last point today. It's from the devil, from yourself, and from other people. Shame is the opposite of truth. Okay? Remember this every day, Ephesians 4.24. You put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. If I get really practical for you right now, I'm going to tell you this. Stop meditating on past failure. Instead, when past failure comes and you feel it, and even if it's comfortable because you know what it is, all right, or whatever, start to dwell on what God has done. When you replay the same tape in your head and your heart and your mind, you're dwelling, let me say it again, you're actually dwelling on something that doesn't exist. So stop worrying about that problem and start thanking God that he's given you the solution. That's not me. Now, there's a journey in this. You won't do it this week. Do you get that? If there are strongholds that have been built up over, your, you, you know, over time, it doesn't, you know, you've got to probably say, commit yourself to the journey on this one. Choose it. Remember I was saying that faith chooses and faith puts action behind what it does. If you're going to sit there and go, oh, Lord, just make me more this week. It's a good place to start, all right? And then keep going. As you receive them, keep going keep going. Every single time the enemy comes and says this, you say, no, right now, I, even if you go today, I have double honor. My state is magnificent and full of dignity and grace. Ah, but you're this. It doesn't exist anymore. You can't say, well, that was me, but it's not me anymore. Why? Because he says so. Remember, you don't need to be embarrassed about it. You face it in grace. I have a great series or a sermon I did years ago saying, face it again in grace. The things in your life that you have tried to face in your own self-effort and never broke free of them, face them again, but do it in grace, knowing what he has said over you. And so I would say that, you know, because when you do that, what will happen is this. In Hebrews 10, 22, it says, then let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, right? In full assurance of faith, because as Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation if I'm in Jesus, Every time, what does it mean to draw near to God with a heart full of faith? Is every time 
the word of shame comes to you. How do you draw close to God? By confessing his truth over your life, declaring his promise over your life. That is you coming with boldness to God, lifting your head up to go, that's the truth, not this. There's no shame on you today. I think the people of God have lived under shame for far too long. Thanks for what religion does. It's stinking. And the Lord says today, there's no condemnation. No condemnation. No guilt. No shame. Not just what you do, but who you are. All dealt with in that one exchange on the cross. His beautiful work of grace for you. Close your eyes. I'm going to just, as I've done every week, remember faith comes by hearing and by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, Ira, under these circumstances, let me just break down those words for you. Under these circumstances, in light of all that's been said, and when Paul was writing that, but that verse, what had been said was that it is by grace alone, through faith, that you're saved. He spent seven chapters going through it. And so he says, now, therefore now, immediately, num in Greek, there is no udeus, that powerful conjunction, shuts the door and leaves no exceptions, right? Absolutely rules out with nobody accepted that right now there is no punishment or condemnation for those who are in Jesus. He'll never punish you again. There was due process. It wasn't like he just kind of decided one day to kind of skip the law. The law was fulfilled for you. And there was a process that happened. And Jesus stood in your place. He willingly stood in your place. And he took the guilt. And he took the shame. Publicly vilified. And butchered in the most terrible way. In full public view. And for all of history actually. Noted for all of history. So that we as people could be free. What a wonderful, wonderful saviour we have. Isn't he amazing? Jesus, thank you for taking our place. Thank you for going there. Thank you, Lord, for looking at us, every one of us, knowing full well before time how we would at times just make a complete mess of it. But Lord, none of that seemed to matter because you just had us in your gaze. You created us in love. You hold us in love and you'll forever keep us in love. And you stood in that place for us, Lord. And you took every bit of shame, every accusation, every Finger, bit of finger pointing, every bit of things that are leveled against us. In that moment, Lord, as you hung on that cross, you took all of that off us so that it might never return. That's why you say in your word, don't put yourselves again under slavery, under that yoke. Father, thank you that in our hearts we're free today. The Spirit of the Lord is just touching some people right now. He's putting his finger on things where you have accepted less than what the Lord says. And you've accepted it because it's just by repetition over many years, this is what I do. 
And the Lord says, no, that's not who you are. There's a grace for you today to live free. There's a grace for you to receive today. Again, a freshness. I just feel that the Spirit of the Lord is saying a freshness over your life and your heart today. To say, you are not your failure. Doesn't matter whether, even if it was justified, even if you know you did it wrong, face it and say, but your grace is more than enough. The price was paid for it. You don't have to pay the price because it was paid. You can face it again in grace and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for that work. And because of that, I can believe, I can be bold this morning and believe every promise that says my best days are in front of me. I'm going to see your goodness in this land. I'm going to see it in my family. I'm going to see restoration. I'm going to see healing. I'm going to see favor. I'm going to see increase. I'm going to see all of the things of the past being broken off me in Jesus' name so that I can walk into the future that you have for me, Lord, which is one of double honor, the Lord says. Somebody say amen. And so let me just read these last verses. There's no condemnation. So what do you think then? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition, listen to that. He embraced our condition and exposed himself to the worst by sending his own son. Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would even dare now to point a finger? The one who died for us, Jesus, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God. Listen to this. At this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone's going to be able to drive a wedge between you and Jesus' love for you? There's no way. There's not going to be trouble or hard times, hatred or hunger, homelessness, no bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. Nothing that goes on can faze us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced, Paul writes, that nothing, absolutely nothing, living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love for us because of the way that Jesus has embraced us. Father, I thank you for that word this morning. Jesus, I thank you that in this place right now, even where people are sitting, Lord, you are breaking the chains of shame. You're ministering in this place, Lord. You're saying that some of the lies that we have accepted, some of the patterns that we've built up, some of the thinking that we've established, Lord, right now you're ministering into that. And you're showing us again, Lord, who you say we are, created in true righteousness and holiness. That state, you exchange shame for glory. The most glorious condition, the most exalted state, magnificent, excellent, full of dignity and full of grace. That's who you are. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 